Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Real Life Real Crime is a true crime podcast brought to you weekly by Woody Overton, Jim Rathman, and executive producer Toby Tomplay. sexual nature it should be for people that are 18 years or older heed my warning people Jim and I do not get the facts of these cases off the internet or from some television show the facts we're retelling you were presented to us by the victims of the crimes or the perpetrators who committed the crimes against the victims my description of the crime scenes are what I saw with my own two eyes If you're going to get offended, please turn this podcast off now. Thank you. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of Real Life, 
Real Crime, the podcast. As always, I'm your host, Woody Overton, flying solo again today due to COVID, etc. And I'm going to be bringing you the conclusion of false positive. Now, y'all remember I told a story about a month ago, maybe maybe four weeks ago, I don't remember, the, uh, called I Shot That Man. And at the end of that story, I told you that you wouldn't get it for a million dollars. You couldn't figure out how this two-part series was going to tie into that one, right? You still want it. But I'm going to tell you at the, at the very end, it's pretty pretty crazy. But love and appreciate each and every one of y'all. I hope you're staying safe. And I hope your families are doing well. And I hope uh, you're making it right. So just stay strong in this time. And hopefully things are starting to turn around. And we'll get back to doing what we do. Now, this is the last episode, Lifers, in Season 4. And we'll be starting Season 5 soon. Going to be a lot of big changes coming up. A lot of different great things happening that we're working on. So just stay tuned. All right. When I left y'all on false positive, we had already tested the the bank manager, the lady who said she was kidnapped overnight, et cetera. She picked out a male suspect out of a photo lineup. I mean, instantly picked him out, said she recognized him as one of the guys who uh, kidnapped her from her home. And when they were duct taping her up and masking her up, she saw through his mask, the facial features, and she know, knows his voice, grew up with him all through high school, knows everything about him, et cetera. And, uh, I mean, she ID'd him. She picked him out of a six-pack. I mean, you can't make that shit up. So they, being the powers that were working the case, right, and, and that was God and everybody. It was the small-town PD where it happened, the sheriff's office in the parish where it happened, uh, Livingston Parish Sheriff's Office, the feds, state police, everybody was in on it. And powers to be scooped him up um, based off of the positive ID from the six-pack. And they get him in, and they bring him to me to polygraph him, right? They question him. I watched the question, and he's like, fuck that, I ain't had anything to do with it. The the You know, he was adamant. Now, he couldn't see me where I was watching, but he was adamant. He had nothing to do with it. Uh, he was at work. I was at work. I'm telling you, I was at work. When it happened last night, bullshit. I was at work. Go check my work at schedule, but they didn't do it. Then they decided to bring him to me to polygraph him. Uh, um, let me tell you a little bit about it. A lot of y'all probably, just like on the girl, the the manager, she had been up for over 24 hours, and I hounded her on the participation question based off of what the Fed said. And the I was now at the time I, I was a rookie polygraph examiner. I had just graduated from the school. I had just taken my state board just a couple months before. Uh, I had taken my state board test, the written test, and passed it. And then once you do that, you have to do a year's internship underneath, uh, under the supervision of another licensed polygraphist that's approved by the Louisiana State Polygraph Board. And uh, you have a year to complete 25 tests. And then you have to go before 
the oral board, which is the polygraph board where they ask you questions. But at that time, you have to bring five charts to submit for review. You have to make five copies, one to give to each board member, and they review each one of your charts, and they score it, and you, you have to present your own score sheet and tell them how it comes out. So it's a real lengthy process. Uh, the shortest they would let you do it in is in six months. And when I started, y'all, I should, I mean, look, I've, I've supervised since then over the years at the request of the board. The board has personally asked me to supervise three different internships uh, over the years. One was for the chief of police of Jennings Police Department. One was for a captain with the Baker City Police Department. And one was for a trooper who is now actually uh, on sits on that polygraph board, right? So we're talking over the course of many years. Now, you got to, the reason I'm digressing is because I forgot to tell you in the last episode, I was just a couple months out. When I did, I shot that man, uh, I think it was like two months before this case. That was my first murder confession off the polygraph, right? And he repeated it exactly. And, And he said, Mr. Woody, I shot that man. Mr. Woody, I shot that man last night. So, Remember, I knew just enough really to be dangerous in the polygraph world. And going back to um, the bank manager and hounding her, I was hounding her on that participation question about that press net lock or whatever it was, right? And remember, that I, I went back to him. And I said, hey, she failed it, but I don't believe uh, she participated. And, and the problem with it, y'all, is that I had – hundreds of thousands of hours of interview and interrogation before I became a polygraph examiner. And 98.5% of what I do for a living is read people and the body language, et cetera. And I don't even need the the polygraph, right? So, but it's a great tool. It's a great investigative tool. But again, I was kind of a rook at it. And um, it is what it is. So they bring this guy down to me and I, I, again, I separate myself because they've been questioning. They've been hard on him. They swamped donkey, didn't drug him, skull drug him out of his house and all that shit. Right. So he's got no love for them. I have to establish a connection and bring him down, you know, get him in. But the problem with this guy was he walks in the door and the, he's fine. And it looked just like he's pissed off, but uh, looked just like he did when they were interviewing him upstairs. And he walked in and they introduced me as Detective Woody Overton, and I put my hand out to shake his hand, and the dude, I thought he was going to pass out. I mean, I've never seen that much color drain from a person. Uh, uh, he started sweating, and it was cold in my little office. When he started sweating and everything, he was like, you know, I, I knew something was wrong right away. So long with the short, they get him in and sit him down, and I made my introduction. I told him who I was. I told him, I said, look, man, just hear, you know, about um, this kidnapping last night and this bank robbery. He said, man, I done told them I ain't had shit to do with it. They can go to my work. He said, man, I work nights. And he said, there's like a hundred some people out there and cameras and everything that can tell them I was at work because they told me it happened at 7.30 at night. I go to work at 6 o'clock. I think it says 6 to 6. Uh, he's worked the night shift. And, again, being a rookie examiner, one of the things they teach you, I, I went to the um, the Department of Defense 
Polygraph Institute School, right, at, at, at Texas State Police Headquarters in Austin. And it's all hush hush. It's it's that's the only school that has the government, same one the CIA, Secret Service, all of the examiners use. Uh, but one of the things they teach you in that school is don't let a polygraph take the place of a good investigation. And this is where I fucked up. Just like on the girl earlier, you know, I, I want to please, plus I want to, you know, get some notches in my belt and polygraph. But he was he was real adamant, man. And and he and but he was look, he's there and he just sl- had slumped down in his persona and after I explained who I was, et cetera. And look, I had to get him past Miranda forms, the Miranda rights. I had to get him past the polygraph forms. I had to get him past all this shit to get him to talk to me. And it was hard. I mean, so it wasn't easy, but I, you know, I played, I found out what level I need to connect with the one. And I got there. I tried to make him see me as, as, li- as little of a threat as possible. And I just told him, so look, dude, if you didn't do it, take the test with me. I'm going to get it right. And you'll be clear, right? And, and, and uh, but he was so adamant. He said, and I, I got him to sign the forms, but he said, I'm telling you, just tell him to go to my work. He said, shit, it ain't 20 minutes from here. So go, tell him to go to my work, you know? And I pushed on as a rookie examiner. And, and again, this isn't my case, y'all. They called me in and I started it in on, on the manager, right? And she happened to pick him out a six pack during my polygraph, et cetera. So I really didn't have a dog in this fight personally uh, um, other than the polygraph angle. But so get him in and sit him down, uh, get him past the forms. And but his demeanor is just he is sweating buckets. He's just I, I never really quite seen that on anybody who just wasn't totally guilty. I and mean, I couldn't figure it out for the life of me. Right. And um, so. Finally, it got to the point where I got, we went through the medical questions and, and all that for me to determine whether or not he was mentally and physically able to uh, take the test, and I had to pass him. I mean, he was a healthy young man, respectful young man. And he's not a gangbanger or whatever, you know. I mean, he's just he he had a full time job. He worked like uh, five nights a week, like like sixty hours a week. And, and, and it, it wasn't a great job, I can tell you that. He was working his ass off. It, and I think it was at, at, at a chicken plant where they cut chickens all night. Um, so at the last minute, I asked him, did he need to take a break before we got into the, the formulation of the questions for the test? And he he wanted to take a break. So I left him alone. I went up and I talked to the powers of being and remember it's all these agencies that are there. And I told him, I said, listen, and I said, why don't y'all just go? This dude is adamant. He's at work last night. Adamant. He's on the security cameras. He he clocked in right before six. He stayed there. His workstation is is on security cameras. He's got a hundred and some people that he worked with all night. He had three breaks during the entirety of the night. One fifteen minute break, then his lunch break, and then another fifteen minute break towards the twelve hour end of the twelve hour shift. And didn't leave until like after six o'clock in the morning, right? And in, I said, but they said, no, 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 let's let's just polygraph him. And, you know, she picked him out of the photo lineup, which she did. I get that point, but I'm like, I'm thinking, by the time I was in there, you know, first of all, you could at least call his work, and but it wasn't my case. You could have called his work, didn't do it, and but damn sure you could have sent somebody. All oh, you asked. 
in this house. All the guys standing around drinking coffee, waiting on me to run this four or five hour polygraph, how long it's going to be. One of them could have rode over to this plant, which is open 24 hours a day, and checked to see if this guy was at work, right? If he's at work, shit, then there's no need for a polygraph. And even though she picked him out of the photo lineup, if he's at work and you got all those eyewitnesses, that's, that's no bueno. It's no good. The, um, I'm going to tell you this, too, and we'll get into it in some other cases in real life real crime in the future. Eyewitness testimony is probably the most unreliable testimony there is when a person is under that kind of stress. And especially, flip it back, the she had been up for, what, 48 hours or whatever it was when she, um, and I'm taking her back through the case what actually happened when they, she was abducted from her house. I'm, I'm taking her back through it mentally frame by frame, whereas all day long she had been a suspect, right? And she'd been treated as a suspect. Eyewitness testimony, so unreliable because most people, when they have a gun in their face, you get what you call a tunnel vision, right? And, and, and I'm, saying, I'm not saying that it's not good. I'm just saying if, if there's a breakdown in an area like that, especially somebody that's under that kind of stress, it, it, I mean, it does happen a lot. Y'all heard it in, in the other case we did uh, on, I shot that man. The eyewitnesses uh, uh, picked out the wrong person out of the crowd. That was a shooter, right? Same thing. But, I mean, law enforcement has to work with what they have to work with. But I asked him, I said, again, I said, man, once you go out there and just talk to somebody or look at the cameras from last night. No, no, no. Go on and do the polygraph. We already got his ass. We got him on the eyewitness things. Not, not my case. Fine with me. All right. So I go back in and I sit down and I told him, I said, look, we got to make up the relevant questions for this examination. And relevant meaning the most important, right? And and so the relevant questions would be, did you sit? Let me back up. I didn't have to ask him about the bank robbery, right? He was being charged with the aggravated kidnapping and by breaking into her home, taking her gunpoint, duct taping her up. He's the one that she eyewitnessed. So that's what I'm asking about. So on a polygraph examination, whenever you can, you don't want to use emotion-evoking words. Like instead of saying, did you kill that man last night? say, did you shoot that man? It's a little bit different, but it still takes a little bit of the motion out. Uh, uh, on this case, the I, I asked him, I said, dude, tell me what happened. I and mean, he said, I told you. I was shit. I was at work. I don't know what the hell happened. I said, well, let me tell you what they said happened. And I explained to him, I said that she got out of her car at her house on Highway 43 in Albany. He said, yeah. I, he said, I know her. And he said, I went to high school. I've known her my entire life. I know where she lives and everything. I know her family and all of it. And I said, well, she said she got out, and when she went to open the door, that three people bum-rushed her from behind, pushed her into her house, put a gun on her, started duct-taping her up, et cetera. And then I said, dude, she picked you out, out of a photo lineup. She said she she saw your facial features, and she said she heard your voice. And I said, I mean, you kind of got to understand where these cats are coming from, that they, they go go and pull you on that, right? I mean, it's way beyond probable cause. And he was like, I understand mistakes happen. He said, but I'm telling you, I didn't do it. I was at work. Go pull my shit, man. I'm begging you, just please go pull my shit. I said, dude, I asked him. And he said, I, I really did. I, and, you know, but they want you to take the polygraph. 
And then he was like, so anyway, back to the question. I said, look, I'm going to make it easy for you. I'm not going to ask you, did you kidnap her or whatever? I said, when is the last time you saw her? He said, the last time I saw that girl is when we graduated high school, dude. It's been years. I said, okay. So it's easy for me to ask you on the polygraph, did you see her yesterday? He was like, yeah, yeah, I, I can answer that. No, I didn't see her. I was at work. I said, well, yeah, it's going to be a yes or no question. Did you see her yesterday? Her being the victim, y'all, of course, I used her name. And um, he said, no. I said, good. I said, did you enter her home yesterday evening? He was like, no, I was at work at that time. I said, did you enter her home yesterday evening? He said, no. And I said, did you enter her home around 7.30 or after 7 o'clock p.m.? And, and he's like, at 7 o'clock p.m., I was on the line doing my job. And so got him through the stuff, right? <laughs> and we'll review the questions in depth, et cetera. Then I gave him the, the long explanation how the polygraph works and all that good stuff, and then attach him to the instrument. I run my practice or acquaintance tests in which I have him lie to me on one out of eight questions. I don't know which question is he's going to lie about. At the end of the test, he's strapped up on this big chair, y'all. The polygraph chair has these long metal arms that are wide where you can put your whole arms on it, and they sit about about chest high. And it separates your arms from your chest or out a little bit. And so when I say I, I attach them to the instrument, I strap them to the instrument, that means you have two tubes that go across your, one goes across your upper chest and one goes across your abdomen, okay? And they measure, they kind of measure breathing, but not directly breathing. Uh, uh, it's, it measures any difference in the muscle movement in, in your intercostal and your abdominal muscles. The second thing, while well, you, well, you have the arms up on the chair like that is he had, he had two finger plates on. And back then, they used to call it galvanic skin response. Now they call it electrodermal activity. It's skin sweat. That's all it is. The, uh, fancy new words for it, science, whatever. The, um, so that's on one hand, right? And on the other hand is the blood pressure cuff, not the hand. The other upper arm is the blood pressure cuff, and that is measuring any difference amount of blood flow into that artery that changes under stress. And basically, when I'm looking at my computer screen, or if you see the old the old timey polygraph machines on TV where the needles jump up and down, each one of those needles you see it records one of those areas I just told you about, right? But I have the same thing on the computer screen. It's actually more sensitive than what we used to call the old ink slinger instruments. But uh, the top two lines or for the tubes on the chest that you can call it breathing, whatever. So, and it makes like little, uh, little mountains, right? Okay. <laughs> the second line that in there in blue, the second line is, is that galvanic skin response or the EDA, they call it now. Uh, and it's measured on your screen as a green line. All right. And, and then at the, this house that mine up and on the bottom is where the blood pressure cuff is monitoring the blood flow into the brachial artery, you see that. You can actually see each uh, heartbeat of the person. It's measured in little lines. Every time your heart beats, the, uh, you have it, right? 
So back to the blue lines, the, the pneumos is what they're called, the, the one across your upper chest and your abdomen. That, uh, while they, everybody relates back to breathing, is each little mark is a breath. It's an inhale and an exhale. And remember this, an average person takes between 12 to 16 breaths per minute. All right? Reason I'm telling you all this, not to make you polygraph experts because you're about to hear this shit go down. So I went made up the rest of the questions, like I said, uh, for the test. And then the first one's like, are you now sitting down? Yes. Why did I ask him that? Because I know he can't lie to me about it, right? It's a known truth. Second question regarding if you saw that girl, whatever the victim's name is, regarding if you saw her last night, do you intend to answer each question truthfully? The answer is yes, right? That's called a sacrifice relevant. And that is the first question in the test. It's not scored. It's springtime, boys. The grass is green, the birds are chirping, and the kids will be out of school soon. That makes it the perfect time to plan a family vacation. And we know from the stories we cover that this is not exactly the time to take the family to the Caribbean. You don't want to end up in the middle of some cartel drug shootout. So this year, it's time to take an international journey. And of course, a big international trip is just one reason to learn a new language with Rosetta Stone. You might have a different one. Maybe you want to connect with family or friends living overseas. Maybe you want to acquire a new skill for work or better understand a certain culture. Rosetta Stone has helped me have fun with my mother and at least have partial conversations in Italian after only a few lessons. Rosetta Stone is the trusted expert for 30 years with millions of users in 25 languages offered. Spanish, French, Italian, German, Korean, Chinese, Japanese, Dutch, Arabic, Polish, and many more. Rosetta Stone immerses you in many ways. No English translation, so you really learn to speak, listen, and think in that language. Intuitive process, you pick up a language naturally. Designed for long-term retention. Speech recognition. The true accent feature is like having a personal trainer for your accent. Rosetta Stone is convenient and an amazing value. That's right, Woody. A lifetime membership has all 25 languages for any and all trips and language needs. That's lifetime access to all 25 language courses Rosetta Stone offers for 50% off. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Real Life Real Crime and Daily Show listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com today. Sayonara. Shout out to Astro for sponsoring this episode and providing us with free samples. My allergies are throwing my whole morning off. Do I sound different to you? I love it. You sound like, <laughs> it's that time of year, though, bro. I sound different to me. I feel like I'm in a submarine. Yeah, well, have you tried Astro? It's faster, bro. Oh. Right? Astro is the first of its kind nasal allergy spray. It is the fastest 24-hour over-the-counter allergy spray. It starts working in 30 minutes while other allergy sprays take hours. Astapro is the first and only 24-hour steroid-free allergy spray. Astapro delivers full prescription strength, indoor and outdoor allergy relief from nasal congestion, runny and itchy nose, and sneezing. Hey, I use this. And you should too, Jim. Last weekend, I planted my garden, and it's that time of the year, and my allergies 
really kicked up with it, right? I use AstroPro every time my nasal allergies flare up, and I'm always amazed at how fast I'm back in the game, down on those rows, playing my stuff. Get fast-acting nasal allergy symptom relief with AstroPro. Go to AstroProAllergy.com for a discount so you can AstroPro and go today. A-S-T-E-P-R-O Allergy.com. It's faster, bro. Uses directive for relief of nasal congestion, runny nose, sneezing, and itchy nose due to allergies. AstroPro and go. It's the first question to test. So he hears her, her name already, and whether he did or didn't do it, but he knows he's being tested about her. Uh, it helps take off the edge for the relevant questions when they come later on. So I asked him a question: Did you see her last night? No. And you know, again, I give him real strict instructions on how to sit and answer. Uh, it's yes or no. Don't move the whole nine yards. So. Then I asked my first comparison question. Then I asked the question, did you see her yesterday? No. Boom. I mean, my I'm sitting there. I'm watching my shit. I tell them that I don't score it as it's going along, okay? But I'm watching my screen trying to keep my poker face. He's, he's sitting to my right facing back towards me, but uh, almost... He can't see the computer screen, but he could see out of the corner eye if he was watching, he could see my reaction. So I'd have to sit there with no reaction. I shit you not. The okay, so on the on the on the blue ones, the the, the uh one on your chest and the one in your stomach, the the less you breathe or the less those when you ask the question and they respond, the smaller those get, the worse it is for you. Deception indicated. Uh his flat line. And then they and on the charts it's measured in in uh, five second interval intervals, right? So I'm watching it. He, it looked like he died. If you ever see it on the, on a movie when they had the beating beating and it goes beep and <laughs> his shit went flat. The next one, the green one, the now before the test starts, uh, when I do that practice test, what I'm really doing is balancing out the nerves and tuning them their physiology into the instrument because everybody's different, like. Some people have more skin sweat than others, and some people breathe different. Whatever. It could depend on your body size, et cetera. The green one, you you set it at your baseline where it's kind of like as smooth as can be, right? And, and when you ask a question on, on the practice test, you can see, or you tell them to take a deep breath, and you'll have a little bit of response there. That some bitch went off my computer screen. It went, bam! The light. I was like, holy shit, right? And, and then the heart. Uh, that you could see through the arm, through the breaker artery, it went from being flat on the page, but looking at the heart, he's one, boom, 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 boom. I asked him the question and went, boom, 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 boom. I mean, it took off, went off my freaking computer screen. Look, It looked like he hit he hit a, the meth pipe while he's sitting in my chair. I'm like, holy shit, man, here I am. <laughs> I mean, I'm not... A total rookie examiner, but I got a couple months in, and and but I'm like, holy shit! And that I've never heard of this in polygraph school or in all the other tests that I've done or anything, and I'm like, I'm freaking out because I don't know what to do. First of all, and and so I'm trying to bring it back to what I guess people call it a baseline. I'm trying to bring it back down before I ask the next question, because when you ask the question, they respond. 
and it's 25 seconds and your next question kicks up. You have to ask it. You don't have to, but you can make it go longer. But your next question kicks up and shit, my stuff's all off the screen. His heart's off the screen. His skin sweats off the screen and the breathing quit. He quit. And I'm, it took me a, like 15 seconds. I look over and say, hey, hey, I said, hey, man, you got to relax. I said, you got to breathe. I mean, shit, he wasn't breathing. And I said, you're going to pass out. And look, he was sweating and on that metal chair where they had the hands up for the galvanic skin response, I could see pools of sweat coming, literally developed on the metal chair underneath his hand. I'm like, holy shit, man. And I mean, it, it was the larger, okay, let me digress. The, the more response you have from the heart, naturally, the worse for you it is. The larger you have from the skin sweat, the worse it is. And this is the worst I've ever seen. So it looks... To, and the more suppression in the blues, and he, he flatlined. He wasn't breathing at all, and couldn't be any worse for him. Deception indicated wise, but I had to stop the test. Uh, just fuck me up, you know. And 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 I'm looking at him, and he's he starts to breathe again, and doing all this, and I'm like, oh shit, man. And I said, look, man, you got to relax. And I stopped the test. So you got to relax. So the, the, look, I'm not here to hurt you. Um, you know, we just got to get you through this, et cetera. And, you know, why don't you just take a minute and, and chill and, and breathe and just relax for a minute and I'm going to be back. But fuck, I didn't want him passing out in my chair and stuff. and I'd never seen it before. So I actually left. And this is like in the middle of the night now. I left the room and I went and called one of the best polygraph examiners in the world. His name is Mark Handler. He teaches all the federal schools He's a super cool cat. He lived in Kentucky at the time. His wife's a brain surgeon. Middle of the night, but we were tight. And, and we made that connection in the school. And then it just so happened that the American Polygraph Association convention was in August that year. So right after I uh, passed my boards and everything, all those guys, the top dogs, came to New Orleans and we threw down, right? So we're podness. And he told me anytime, day or night, whatever you call me. So I called him and said, Handler. I said, listen, man. I hit this dude's shit and it just it went off the screen. He said, Well, you got you got a deception indicated. I said, I, mean, I don't know. You know, and I said, What I do? He said, Turn all your settings, your sensitivities all the way down uh, on the galvanic skin response and on on the uh the heart rate one. He said, You gotta run it. You gotta ask the questions. And he said, You got to believe in your charts. That's one thing they taught us in school. The you have to believe in your charts. And anyway, so he talked me off the ledge. I go back in and shit, you know, never let them see you sweat. And I, uh, I mean, I'm all cool and calm, collect. I said, hey, man, you, you, you chill, you know, you're ready to do it again. He's just, just defeated, man. He's kind of slumped down, sitting in his chair. And I'm just like, I mean, you may get you some water or something, dude. And he's like, no, no, man, let's just do this shit. Let's do this. He said, did they go to my work? Did they go to my work and and, and See that I had left. I said I didn't go up there and talk to them. I said I went and took a little, a little break, you know. And he said, "Let's just do this. Sit down, do it again. They could do what to do." <laughs> they said, "Test is about to begin. Please remain still. We're good, right?" He's got all normal shit. Um, first question: Are you now sitting down? Yes. All good stuff. Next question regarding whatever her name is, the victim's name is, do you intend to answer his question truthfully? And you always get a little response there, that sacrifice relevant I told you about, right? But that's not score. We're good. First comparison question, 
I mean, he's got some response, but you're supposed to on that one. But then I asked in that first relevant, did you see her yesterday? Boom. I had turned it all the way down, y'all, and the stuff is still going as high as it can. I'm like, holy shit. The, the green line goes off the page, boom, like a rocket shot out somebody's ass, right? I mean, it's, it, it's just disappears. And the heart goes up like he's smoking crack in my office. And it, uh, he just hit a meth pipe with a crack pipe. And I'm like, fuck, man, here we go. And and he quit breathing again. And and I told him, I said, I said, you have got to breathe. And then and he started recovering. So I, I, just, I just pushed through with it, right? Next question, relevant question. Did you see her last night? No. Boom. It, green's gone again. Heart's gone again. Now, again, this is 25 seconds later. And after it went off the first question, I brought him back down to a baseline and asked the question again. So it's an explosion. Worst you could do. I mean, I don't think that you could put a numeric property or a score on how bad this dude's test was. Yes. His sugar had turned to shit, unbelievably, right? Or maybe it was mine, but, but, but you're going to find out. So anyway, he blows it up. I asked a third relevant question. He blows it up, and I'm like, fuck. In the end, and so, so the test is now complete. Please remain still. Ten seconds. I wait. Stop the test. Now remember, under Louisiana law, for it be, to be valid, we have to do it at least two separate times, right? Well, in this one, I'm running this bitch as many times as I can because I want proof that I, this actually happened. All right. I never heard about it. Never seen. I mean, I've seen some great responses, you know, uh, but not like this. To get into the second test. Now, normally if a person is deception indicated, they're lying as the test goes along, their score will actually get worse. They will, um, the test begins to break them down mentally. They know that, uh, whatever they're trying to do, to make themselves pass or whatever. It's not working, et cetera. But I don't tell them anything. I just, you know, I'm not scoring it. Don't ask me anything. Um, take it. We're going to rest your arm for a minute. We do it again. Second test, worse. Now I had turned my sensitivities all the way down. And I, and every time I asked him a relevant question, did you see her yesterday? Boom. Green's, green's gone. Heart rate. I mean, I don't know how else to equate. I, I don't know how, you can make your heart jump that fast without somebody putting a gun in your face or doing some kind of dope, right? And but and he would stop breathing, and I have to tell him, I said, you need to breathe and relax. So anyway, did it again. Take a break, right? Horrible, the worst I've ever seen. And, and as far as deception indicated, I'm like, he had to be there. If if you you have to believe your charts, right? The polygraph and all this studying I'd done and, and everything and uh, all this hell I'd gone through to get this license had to be there. This is better than textbook. And wait, I did it a third time. Same shit. Every time I asked him the relevant questions, he smoked it, smoked it. And look, look, his physical body and deterioration. I mean, by this time he is slumped down in that chair. It looked like he'd been stabbed or shot. He's slumped down in the chair. His arms are hanging up. I had it tell him several times to pick your head up. I mean, he's just sweating by, he is drenched. And I let him drink some water in between tests. He's drenched. He's it looks like he's morally and mentally defeated. I can't figure out why, unless he's guilty as shit. Right. And then, um, 
I did it however many times, y'all, and it, it was to this date, and this has been 16 years and thousands and thousands and thousands of polygraph tests I've run. I've, I quit counting it over 3,000, I think, years and years ago. All my years as a polygraph examiner, I have never seen someone fail a test as bad as this cat failed it, okay? And so we get done, unattach them from the instrument, and I go out, uh, you know, tell them, give me a minute, but I got to get back into my, come back in for what's the interrogation part, basically, right? And we got done, and, and I always ask him, I said, how do you think you did? And he said, and I don't know, I don't know. And I'm like, oh, shit, we might have something here. Maybe, I mean, maybe he's lying about work. He's, his boss man's going to cover for him or something. I didn't know. But uh, so I let him be for a minute. I went upstairs, and all the powers of be were standing around. I said, did y'all go send somebody or talk to somebody at his job yet? No. Waiting on the test. We already got a warrant for him based off of her six-pack. He said, how'd he do? I said, shit, it's how he didn't do. I said, I'm surprised the dude's living. And I said you wouldn't believe, if you knew about polygraph and I could explain it to you, you wouldn't believe how bad he did. I said, it is the absolute worst case of failure that probably in the history of the world. No, no bullshit, right? And in fact, y'all, it was so bad when I got done with this and, and I'll tell you about the conclusion of it. I got done this. I actually sent it to the Department of Defense Polygraph School to the examiners and stuff, and then they use it as a case file study now. So anyway, they hadn't called to check. And again, they teach you, the government teaches you, don't let a polygraph examination take over an investigation. This the whole polygraph could have been avoided. If he was telling the truth, polygraph could have been avoided by riding your ass out to his work and verifying he's there or not. Detective work. But, but now, I was like the first person polygraph examiner in the area, right? So everybody was using me up in in the the parish where the bank robbery happened and they didn't have an examiner and uh the nearest examiner was in uh Baton Rouge but he was private or actually Dennis Springs but he was the chief at the time he didn't anyway, they were using me. Okay. So but I learned after this one, especially the bank manager being up for the forty eight hours and them not producing the documents saying about the extended time log and uh, this guy, all they had to do was go check his work records. So anyway, I go down, go back in the room and I sit down I pull my chair close to him and say, man, you know, I said, look at me. I mean, he's just slumped over. He's defeated. He's looked like he had his ass whooped like a redheaded stepchild. I mean, he's beat the fuck down. I said, hey, man, look at me. I'm touching him on his knees. I'm, I'm trying to make the eye contact, right? I, now, confession is what I do, and I was doing it a long time before I was a polygraph examiner and known for him, right? And so I'm, I'm trying to work my shit on him, and, and he, this dude's almost crying. He's looking at me and said, he said, Mr. Woody Overton. And he, that's a, one thing that struck me is he knew my name. or or I mean, we'd only been introduced when he came in the door the one time, but he, throughout the polygraph, kept saying Mr. Woody Overton. And that kind of, you know, threw him, but I didn't think much at the time. He, he just looked at me, slumped down in the chair, and he said, Mr. Woody, I'm telling you, man, I was at work. Why won't you please get them to go pull my shit, man? And, and I said, well, listen, 
you failed polygraph. I said, not only did you fail it, you might have set a world fucking record on how bad you failed it. And he starts shaking his head. And then he starts tearing up. I said, can you tell me what you were thinking about when I asked you the questions about her? I mean, tell me exactly what went through your mind. I said, shit, I really need to know. And I said, for my professional development, tell me when I asked you, did you see her last night? What popped in your head? He said, man, what popped in your head? He said, man, I'm done with this shit. He said, I just need to go pull my work records. I'm done with this shit. And I, I worked him, y'all. Um, but he kept calling my name. He said, Mr. Woody, I'm telling you, just tell him and, and uh, just tell him to go pull my shit. I said, look, it ain't going to be that easy. Oh, so they fixed to take your ass to jail. And then he's really got upset. Uh, I said, listen, it's not my jam, you know, and, and to be honest with y'all, I know what my chart said that he failed like the worst in the history of the world. Dude was too adamant to me about where he was. And he, he said, you know, and please go pull it. Please go pull it. Now, look, he was cooperating because he's figuring maybe he's going to pass the polygraph, I guess, and, and it'd be done with it or whatever. But they're taking his ass to jail. I mean, they're closing the case out. And and finally it winded up, and I, I just finally told him, I said, look, man, you know, I got to I gotta rock this test. As deception indicated, man, on, on those three relevant questions, you definitely – you you bomb the shit out of them. I mean, it, um, I said, but it's nothing personal between you and I. You know, I said again, I don't work for those cats up there. I gave you a fair and honest test, and I'm not going to sit here all night and try to beat you out of a confession, right? He said, well, I ain't confessing the shit because I was at work. Now, is what it is. Certain point, even I know when to give up on it. Now, a really good homicide interrogation, et cetera, when the people have that much at stake. I always say it doesn't even begin until after like five hours of questioning, right? After beating up one, as long as they don't lawyer up. And on this one, this cat wasn't moving. And I went at him for however long. That was a long time. And then finally, I'm like, shit, you know what? It's December the 28th. And I always took off the uh, the weeks between Christmas and uh, right after the first of the year for deer hunting season because that's when the deer rut where I hunt, right? I wasn't even supposed to be in this bitch. And, and now I've been out there like a day nonstop, however many hours working with the manager and now working with this cat and all that. And I, I just had enough. And and I went up top and I said, listen, y'all go. It's been another couple hours. Did y'all go pull his work records? Nope. What you got? I said, well, fuck, I told you what I got. He, he failed it. I said, I don't have a confession he ain't admitting anything, you know, and they said, well, there it is. There you have it. I said, well, the, I don't know what to tell you. I said, I honestly don't. I said, it's, you know, the polygraph says he failed it. I guess I got to believe in my charts. That's what I've been taught. And I'm rocking up out of here. Boom. See ya. And so I let them do what they do. And I split and I left. I left the state. I went hunting uh, uh, up in Mississippi and I like to turn my shit off. Right. When I go hunting and, and, uh, you know, we drink a lot of beer and sit around a campfire, et cetera, uh, maybe tell old cop stories or whatever. But the I wasn't trying to think about this bullshit case. It wasn't even mine. None of this bullshit. I mean, it's not bullshit for the victim, but it wasn't even mine. But let me tell you, <laughs> tell you what happened. I came back, and it was like almost two weeks later, maybe 10 days later. I don't know. One of my first days back, and I'd been off for a while, right? 
I didn't keep it up. It wasn't my case. Uh, um, uh, I hadn't got called out or anything else, whatever. They, they, I had scheduled that time off, and they knew I took it off every year. First day back, I see one of the detectives who worked the case. I said, hey, man, what happened uh, with, that, with uh, that dude? And he said, that dude didn't do it. I said, what do you mean he didn't do it? He said, we ended up going to his work, and he was on camera all night on the line, working just like he said he was. They had the cameras in the break room. They had, we interviewed all the people, and he didn't do it. And so that, y'all, in the polygraph world is called a false positive, meaning that I score the test false positive. Now I'm like, there ain't no fucking way. And something, I knew something was wrong. I didn't know what it was. I didn't have time to mess with it. I had a bunch of backlog stuff. But let me tell you what happened on the bank stuff, and then I'll tie it up. I'll tie it all up for y'all. And then this will probably be the one of the only times you hear me read this because I'm going to read you the actual newspaper article from back in the day. <laughs> this is crazy. So what happened was the, uh, I guess I'll kind of paraphrase it for you. The investigation, you know what? I'm, I'm going to throw it all out there. I'm going to throw everything but the victim's uh, name, right? The investigation, they, they they got this cat and they took him and did what they did with him. And But the investigation, they got a tip that it was a teller who used to work there uh, previously at this bank. And just a couple months before, she got caught stealing $3,000 cash. They called her, bring her in, and when confronted, she admits to stealing the money. And she gave it back, and she was fired. That's it, right? So the investigation, you know, as I say, the screets talk, S-C-R-E-E-T-S, and especially, and y'all, I don't know what the exact amount of money that they got out of the vault was, but I know it was a fucking shit ton because, you know, the way the feds respond and everything else, and they never did disclose how much it was and wasn't my case, or otherwise I would have known. I didn't really care. But evidently they got out there on the streets and were blowing money at whatever, and somebody ratted them out. So they started looking at this chick, this this female, and that used to work at the bank off a tip, and the investigation, they rolled with it, right? And not only did they find out it was that female, that uh, the teller, they found out it was her family members that were involved with her, and guess who wasn't involved with her? Guess who wasn't involved with her? My guy that I failed on the polygraph. Let me read this to you. And then I'm going to tell you how long they got, because I, I think how long they got is, is, is just personally an offense. Um, read you the actual story. All right. I, you know, I, I'm not sure which paper this is. It might have been the Livingston Parish News or whatever. I don't have that. Um, so I'm giving whoever wrote this, I'm giving you credit. Ponchatoula. Now, Ponchatoula, you've heard me talk about it before. It's across the river in Tangipo Parish. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line 
prop or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Four people have been arrested for the December 26th kidnapping of a Livingston Parish woman, according to Ponchatoula Police Chief David Vitter. Y'all, David Vitter was a good dude. He's dead now. He died not long after this. I think that, like the next year. Um, article continues. The kidnapping, part of a larger scheme to rob a Ponchatoula bank, was allegedly planned and executed by a former Central Progressive Bank employee, Kashida Wicker Williams, 24 years old of 64422 Wicker Lane in Roseland, Tangipo Parish, Bitter said. Now, Roseland, y'all, remember um, the girl, the victim said they took her a long, long ways and down a gravel road. Roseland is like, Tangipo Parish is the longest north-south geographic parish in the whole state of Louisiana, and Roseland is damn near the top. So it's way up there. It's probably... It's probably 35, 40 minutes from uh, Ponchatoula. Ponchatoula is at the the southernmost end of that parish. All right, back to the article. Kashida Williams allegedly enlisted the help of her brother and two cousins to carry out the kidnapping of the bank's vault teller and to rob the bank, Vitter said. Williams was fired from the Central Progressive Bank after being accused of stealing approximately $3,000 earlier in the year, Vitter said. She returned the money and wasn't prosecuted, Bitter said. Kashida Williams and the vault teller who was kidnapped worked at the Central Progressive Bank at the same time. The vault teller, identified only as a white female, told police she was abducted at gunpoint around 7.30 p.m. and as she got out of her car at her home on L.A. 43 between Albany and Springfield, Bitter said. The vault teller told police she was driven to another location and held hostage in a house until dawn Wednesday, December 27th, when the kidnappers drove her to the Central Progressive Bank at 200 West Hickory Street in Ponsatua, Bitter said. The kidnappers threatened to harm the teller's family if she refused to use her electronic passcodes and key to enter the bank in the vault without setting off the alarms, Bitter said. Three mass burglars entered the bank Early on the morning of December 27th, and police believe a fourth man stayed outside in the getaway car, Vitter said. The vault teller told police she was released after the robbery not far from the bank at Ponchatoula's Memorial Park and by 8 a.m. had found a phone where she called 911, Vitter said. Ponchatoula police, the FBI, and the sheriff detectives from Livingston and Tanchapahoa parishes worked long hours searching for the house where the vault teller was held overnight, and the work paid off, Bitter said. It required a lot of legwork and interagency cooperation, Bitter said. 
Last Friday, Kashida Wicker Williams was arrested along with her brother, Daryl Wicker, 20 years old, and her cousin, Leonard Wicker, 18. All three of them lived at the same address in Roseland. On Monday, another cousin, Tyree Wicker, 17 years old, of whatever road in Vernontown Road in Roseland was arrested. Tyree Wicker is believed to be the man who sat outside in a car during the robbery, Vitter said. The suspects have been charged with aggravated burglary, aggravated kidnapping, and carjacking, according to the Livingston Parish Sheriff's Office. One of the suspects has given a confession, Vitter said. Police are not yet ready to discuss the amount of money stolen from the bank or measures being taken to recover it. The kidnappers also destroyed the vault teller's white 199 Toyota, Vitter said. It was found burned out in Mount Hermon by the Washington Parish Sheriff's Office. If they are convicted, they will be spending the rest of their lives in prison. Better said. The investigation got off on the wrong foot initially when the vault teller mistakenly identified 22-year-old, and I'm going to say his name, 22-year-old Hammond resident Michael Winder, W-I-N-D-E-R, as one of the men who duct-taped her, Better said. Winder was picked up, and the bank teller picked him out of a lineup. Better said, well, that's not, a, that's not the order it happened in. But anyway... However, detectives soon verified Winder's alibi. Records show Winder had clocked in at his job in the vicinity of Hammond Airport at the time of the crime, and he was released, Fitter said. Well, yeah, they don't tell you about all the bullshit that I just told you about, and they could have done that first. Now, I'm flipping to the next article. Um, they Basically, what it says, y'all, they got uh, found guilty, all four of them. They pled. They, they, they didn't take it to trial. They pled to this. They each received 10 years on a burglary charge and five years on a simple kidnapping charge. So that would be 15 years total, y'all. Um, but guess what? Those sentences were to run concurrent, not consecutive. And now when they run concurrent, that means that the your whatever... The longest one you're in for, like the burger charge, they got 10 years. Uh, it was Judge Zoe Wagusback that they gave it to him. But it's not really up to her. The DA pled it out for whatever reason, and that's cool. But here, here's my issue with it. You're giving them 15 years on paper, 10 years for one charge, five years for the other. But guess what? That five-year charge, is you're serving at the same time you're serving the 10-year charge concurrently, which means when your 10 years is up, you walk. Period. Now, let's take it up a notch. The state of Louisiana has good time. For every day they served and they were good little inmates, they get a day off or two days off, whatever it may be. Uh, so they would have been out. They would have been out of prison um, in five years from 2000. Shit, they'd have been out of prison in 2011, y'all. They're probably old people now like me sitting in a rocking chair chilling. But the that's it. And now... <laughs> It is what it is. You, you heard the real truth of the story and, and, and how, always how they presented the interagency cooperation and the, the uh, you know, hurriedly finding out Winder's alibi and all that. It is what it is. Now, let me, before I tie it up, I'm going to say one more thing. I told you that uh, to get your polygraph license the, after you serve your internship, and my, I was supervised by Greg LeBlanc, of the Ascension Parish Sheriff's Office. Great guy, since long since been retired. Greg, if you're out there, peace, love you, brother. 
They, but um, I, you only had you had to have twenty five tests in a year to go before the board. I had, but the earliest you go is six months. At the six month mark, I had like two hundred tests. Now they have people that can't get their twenty five tests in a year, and I already had two hundred in over a half year. Back it up. I picked. I hand cherry picked my five tests to take to the board. Right, the, these are the guys and girls have been doing it the longest. And Richie Johnson, are you resting? Peace, one of my dear friends who was president of the polygraph board. He was colonel for West Baton Rouge Sheriff's Office. Took me under his wing the years after. Great guy. And the rest of them, and most of them are deceased now that were on that board at that time, except for um, one guy. And he's, to this day, he'll always have my mad respect, uh, Mr. Zulke. But so I gave him, I go in for my oral board. I passed, you know, the, the question part. And they said, let's see your charts and let's score them. So I gave them to him. And I put that chart in there, y'all, the false positive. But I didn't tell them what my score was. And every single one of them said, oh, my God, look at this. This is crazy. I've never seen a chart like this. That was this bad. You know, they all scored it. The highest negative score you can get. And guess what? All of them were wrong also. Again, the polygraph is not foolproof. It's not infallible. Uh, it's a hell of an investigative tool for breaking people down, et cetera. But the best in the state of Louisiana at the time that had been doing it, all of them, 20-plus years, scored the same way I scored it, said that Mr. Winder was absolutely deception indicated when we know he wasn't. Lesson learned, I never from that day forward let somebody run me. If, if they brought them to polygraph an investigation like this, and I'm like, mm, if, first of all, the FBI – Oh, I, want, I want to see where she didn't press this time lock. Show it to me. If you don't have proof, I'm not asking the question, okay? Um, as far as an investigation tool, when they say, oh, we want you to run this guy, and I'm like, you know, get in there, and it, it could be so easily verified by going and checking one damn thing, and I wouldn't do it. I would refuse. And and I, But as a, a young rook examiner, I kind of felt forced into it, plus shit, I want to do it. You know, I want to help, want to do the test, but... That was the false positive. Now, this is where we tie it back into I shot that man. So I come back, um, and y'all, I was in court almost every day. I not for just for trials, but the they they were arraigned people every day on like um, you know, their new charges and and then you have uh motion to suppress hearings and every search warrant I've ever written and every confession I've ever gotten, uh, they've all been challenged, right? And why? Because it's a freebie for the defense to find out what you have in a probable cause hearing or a motion to suppress hearing, whatever. So I was in the court every morning, no matter what. And then every afternoon, the morning, the people that made uh, bail, they would come in for their hearings and then the, uh, even the people that are still locked up, the real good bad guys I like to call, uh, that didn't get bonds and shit, they would always come in, and they they would bring them in at one o'clock. All the inmates cuffed, and they they march them in. They're all chained together, and they sit them on the front row of the courthouse. I would sit in the jury box. There's no jury. I'm in there for whatever, however many subpoenas I have, and how many times I have to take the stand that day to defend my shit, which I never lost any of them. But anyway, when I'm sitting there. And the thing, they bring them in. I'm looking over the row of inmates, and I see several of mine, of course. But then I see Darian Armstrong. 
Darian Armstrong from I Shot That Man, right? Didn't know who he was, had the wrong person or people under arrest in that case, did the polygraph on him, absolutely had no idea he was involved until the confidential informant came forward. Great kid, never been in any trouble, et cetera, and I get him in, run the polygraph on him, and I get him to confess to I Shot That Man. I see him in the road. I didn't have... They, they must have had like a status conference or something on his case that day because I didn't have a subpoena for him. But he saw me. He started uh, waving his hands in the chains. Now, he's chained to other inmates. He's waving at me like uh, that. And then so I go over to him. It's before the judge comes in. He said, Mr. Woody, Mr. Woody, I need to talk to you. I need to tell you something. I need to tell you. I said, I'm sorry. And, and I got the bailiff to come over and uncuff him. I took him out in the hallway. He said, you are not going to believe this. I said, what? He said, you remember Michael Winder that you ran a polygraph on and they, they hooked him up for that kidnapping in the bank robber? I said, yeah, shit, yeah, I remember, man. I said, I mean, I said, I'll never forget that case because he failed the polygraph as worse as you can ever see. He said, you want to know why he failed? I said, why? He said, I'm going to tell you. Now, even though I got this guy under arrest for murder, I was cool with him. I treated everybody with respect. And by the time I took him to jail and booked him in, he was thanking me, right? Remember, I got him to open up and confess to me. So we're cool. He doesn't have any animosity towards me or whatever. He said, Mr. Woody, Michael Winder is my brother. Darian Armstrong, Michael Winder. I was like, what? He said, yeah, man. He said, we got different, uh, different mamas but the same daddy, or it might've been flipped over, whatever he said, but here's, here's the deal. He said, he never had any a lick of trouble, but he came to visit me. He would, he would come on weekends to visit me in the jail and, uh, he put some money in my account. We'd hang out or whatever, you know, and he felt bad that I was in prison. And I told him my story. He said, I told him that Woody Overton, got me to confess. And he said, and he said, man, I can't believe you told that dude. He said, man, you don't ever want to be in front of Detective Woody Overton. He said, I believe he could get the Pope to confess to all his dirty sins. He said, I don't know what that man did. He said, he's a cool cat. And he said, but you're right. I, if I'd have said no, they'd have never had anything. He said, now I'm going to prison for the rest of my life. He said, you don't ever want to be in front of that man. I'm telling you. So guess what happened, y'all? It wasn't however a month or so later, and that probably less than that, he said it was on one of his visitations that Winder gets swamp donkeyed at his house by the police. They drag him in, question him, just telling him they had this eyewitness lineup, et cetera. And he's still cool with it because I was watching it. He was cool with it. And he walks down, and they bring him in my office, and they say, this is Detective Woody Overton. And that's when his eyes went. And he started to sweat because what's in his mind? Oh, my God. This is where, this is the office where this dude broke my brother down. And my brother told me, don't ever get in front of this cat because he's going to get to you to say the nastiest shit you ever did, et cetera. And so that's what happened. And and, and he told me, he said, I, I talked to him after the test. He said, he said, Mr. Woody, he said he was sick to his stomach sitting in the same chair thinking that's where I confessed to the murder at that's sending me away for the rest of my life. 
and that's all he could think about. Um, and he said, when you asked him the questions about kidnapping that girl, all he could think about is you were going to get him to give a false confession, maybe, because I told him you were that good. And I was like, shit, man, I don't ever want to send somebody to prison wrong, right? And I said, I, I, said, I admit that I got the test wrong, and, and I'm glad for him. I said, next time you see him, tell him peace and love and respect, and I'm sorry that I put him through it, but, you know, it won't happen again, right? So those investigators ruined it for the next one who wants to use the polygraph in place of uh, uh, interrogation. But that's how I tied back. Darian Armstrong from I Shot That Man, the murderer. Michael from false positive. Worse to this day, that case is still used, taught in polygraph school. Those charts, uh, how perfect they were and how bad he felt it. That's it. So there you have it. There's a connection. Uh, and uh, hey, Mike Winder, if you listen to this, dude, I'm sorry you got, <laughs> I'm sorry you got hooked, bro. But it wasn't just me. The girl picked you out, right? And that's why it goes back to y'all. I tell you about eyewitness testimony it can be so horrible at times. Um, that's going to conclude part two of false positive, and it's also going to conclude this season of real life, real crime. And I love and appreciate each and every one of you. You rock. Patreon members, y'all, this second week in a row. This time I'm doing it from my iPad there. I don't have a professional production company. Um, the Patreon members got to watch it live. So, y'all, that's the first. I mean, even last week you didn't get to watch it live, live. That was the, they, the production company did it. and had to send it in to get it uploaded. So, y'all got to see. I don't know uh, if I did anything inappropriate or whatever, but I hope y'all enjoyed it. I appreciate you watching. We're going to try to do this every week for patron members. Look, lifers, I love all of you. You can't be a patron member, especially in these hard times. I get it. I want you to know that your money's been well spent, and it really does help the show. Uh, um, so, and y'all, if you get a chance, this is that, that podcast shit I got to say. Please go to iTunes and leave us a review if you haven't, I know it's a pain in the ass. I know they're way down on the list of platforms that people listen to us, but there's a reason for it. I don't know what it is, but if you if you can, just take a second to leave it. It's, uh, um, a lot of people do, and a lot of people take time to leave us one stars, and some of them are you know, really comical. Uh, um, I don't care. It's a review is a review. So, and Facebook crew page, K-R-E-W-E. Uh, real life, real crime, friends, fans, and crew. That private page, y'all. There's a reason I'm pushing this. We're fixing to burn some ass on Courtney Coco's case when, as soon as Louisiana opens up. I have a plan in my head. I haven't got with her mama and her family about it yet, but I have a plan to move that case forward. But we've got to have those numbers up. Now, granted, we're huge at, at pushing probably 19,000 members, but those numbers matter when it comes to the media. So if you can... If you had not a member, send our Dream Team moderators. They rock, y'all. Best people in the world. They're from all over the world. Canada, a couple from Australia, all over the United States of America. And these people, the, the Dream Team moderators do this. They're not getting paid anything. They do it because they, they love real life, real crime, and they're the best. The They monitor that huge-ass group. I mean, I can't thank y'all enough, Dream Team. I love each, each of y'all. Thank you so much. But send them a request. We'll get you approved. No sweats. Get you in. And that's where all the, the good stuff is. Uh, um, anyway, if you're not, if you're a fan of real life, real crime, and, and you're missing that page, and you're just missing out on it. If y'all, if you're already a crew member, 
scroll up to the top of the page on um, the crew and by members it has invite button you hit invite invite all your people shit if they join great if they don't then that's cool too the, uh, but we need those numbers we'll burn some ass Courtney Coco's this time's coming I'm telling you but it, I have a plan I have a master plan but I can't do it without the support of you lifers alright it's Barbara Blunt's case things are opening back up I've been in contact with the sheriff's office twice this week and we're about to we're about to roll, okay. So y'all, um, if you can, when you uh, listen this week or whatever, you know, share that Miss Barbara Blunt's episode again. Uh, we can get these COVID. I can't say COVID has, has totally shut down the tip lines uh, because it hasn't, but it, it has slowed it down dramatically. Although I got a new tip today in Miss Barbara's case, so we need to share that. I'm giving my patron members a thumb up. Share that. It's important. I think Sheriff Art is a fantastic guy. Those detectives working on this case, are gonna, it's going to be awesome. Now that these corporations and stuff are opening back up, we're going to rock it. That's it. We've got it. crew members. And y'all, we're all that other social media bullshit. Not, I don't know what they are. Twitter, Twitter, and Instagram, and uh, all of the different Facebook pages. Real Life, Real Crime, Lanyap page. Uh, the crew page, the regular real life, real crime page, uh, whatever. I forget them all. I don't even go to my, I haven't been to my own regular Facebook page in forever. Don't send me a friend request to that page because I have 5,000 Facebook has it blocked up. So I had to create another public figure page. Send the request to that. I promise y'all won't deny you, but y'all, all of y'all that send me the friend request every day, it, I, I clicked accept yes. Cause evidently somebody almost every day, the friends me uh, on Facebook, but it's, or um, if I can accept you, I will, but you need to do it on that other page. And I don't know what it's had Woody Overton real life or crime or something like that. I smile at my page members. Y'all that uh, on the video of course, now that this video will forever be up two days early on the patron page. Um, y'all patron members that are getting to watch this now. They've the, uh, the lifers won't get this until sometime late Saturday evening. So, um, we're going to try to bring you more and more content. We have more stuff to bring you. We're going to bring you more and more content. Thank you again. Absolutely adore you. Um, everybody else, love you, love you, love you. Thank you so much for, look, all your little comments and stuff that y'all share and, and, and I read or you message me, I message y'all back. It means the world to me, man. You know, um, I, it really does, and I do appreciate you. I don't think there's a person out there that can say that I haven't messaged them back or hit them back. And I'm, as long as I'm breathing and my fingers don't fall off. Sometimes at night, uh, my real busy times between like 6 p.m. and midnight, right? Sometimes at night, my thumbs are about to fall off. But anyway, I'll get back to you. I love all of you. Real life, real crime, the podcast. Next time you hear me, it'll be season five. We'll be rocking and rolling. And I'm probably forgetting some shit, but that's all right, too. Uh, Woody Overton. Your host, Real Life, Real Crime, the podcast. And until next time or ever, don't let me catch you down on Murder by You. Peace. Real Life Real Crime is a true crime podcast brought to you weekly by Woody Overton, Jim Rathman, and executive producer Toby Tomplay. 
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Save big money on plant protection supplies. Now at Menards. Defend your garden with Triazicide Insect Killer. Its fast-acting formula protects lawns, vegetables, and many other plants. It kills more than 260 insects by contact, above and below ground. Choose from ready-to-spray, concentrate, or granular. Save big money on Triazicide Insect Killer at Menards. And check out our weekly flyer on Menards.com for all the great deals happening now. Save big money. 